Grace and peace to you from God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. When I saw that our Old Testament lesson today was from Jonah, I was happy. Because Jonah might just be my favorite prophet in all of the Old Testament. I love Jonah's story. I loved it when I saw a Veggie Tales about it when I was a little kid, and I've loved it even more as I've gotten to know the story better. You see, the story of Jonah speaks to our very human nature. God is speaking directly to Jonah, which sounds great, wonderful, clear messages. John says, God says to Jonah, go to Nineveh, tell them about me. Well, Jonah knows Nineveh, maybe better than God, he thinks. That is not a good place. Surely God was wrong. Surely he didn't mean go to Nineveh. So he goes in the opposite direction. It does not go well. <laughs> it does not go well, and Jonah become, comes to realize that God does, in fact, really want him to go to Nineveh. So he does, partially because a whale, you know, spit him out on the beach right near Nineveh. He didn't have much choice. And he goes into Nineveh and he announces, in three days, God's going to destroy your city. He does that for a couple of days and then he leaves. Let me tell you, I have heard a lot of different sermons in my life. You probably have as well. That's not one of the good ones. He doesn't really give Nineveh a fair shot. He doesn't tell them really who God is or why they should care or even believe that this God they've never heard of is going to destroy their city. The Ninevites, though, apparently got the message. They repent. They, they turn themselves around. They believe in God, and they repent of their sins. They try to do better. Jonah doesn't pay attention to that, though, and he walks back out, gets a nice view of the city from nice and far away. Don't want any of that fire and brimstone hitting us. And sits down to wait, to watch the destruction of this evil city. And he waits, and he waits, and he is real mad because God is not destroying the city like he said, he said God would. And it's hot, the sun's beating down on him, and he had this nice shade bush for a, a little while, but now it's gone. So he says to God, just kill me now. I'm, I'm done, I'm out, take me home, I'm done. I am angry enough to die. And he says this to God. He uses these words that are found throughout the Old Testament in our Psalms and in our um, books of Moses. He says that he knows that God is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, ready to relent from punishing. And the way Jonah says that to God, he's mad about every bit of it. I knew you were slow to anger. I knew you were going to be gracious and merciful, and that's not what I want Nineveh to have. I 
love Jonah because he speaks so dearly to our own human way of deciding who is in and who is out, who is deserving and who is not. And he has the audacity to tell God that God is being too gracious, too forgiving, too merciful. This is why he didn't want to preach to the Ninevites, because he didn't want them to repent. God doesn't kill, kill Jonah because God doesn't just randomly kill people who are like, I'm mad about this bush. We don't hear any more about Jonah after this part of a story. He, assume, I assume, goes on about his day. But we hear God's mercy for all of the many people in Nineveh who just didn't know or understand. And, and I think this is important, many animals They also deserve to not get destroyed in fire and brimstone falling from the sky. The disciples, I don't think, were thinking about Jonah right before this gospel lesson when they were trying to get Jesus to tell them that they, in fact, would get special privileges in the kingdom of God because they were disciples. They were the first. They stood with him. They were thinking that they deserved extra. They deserved more than all of those who had turned away from Jesus, all of those who didn't want to talk to Jesus. At one point in one of the Gospels, a town doesn't welcome Jesus in, and two of the disciples say, shall we call down fire and brimstone from heaven to destroy that city? And Jesus says, no, that's not what we're doing here. Disciples didn't think this was fair, and honestly, there have been times in our lives, I'm sure, where we also think this is unfair, where we get jealous about God's unfailing, unimaginable love and forgiveness because we've been Christians our whole lives. We've done it right. We've followed the rules. We've been disciples of Christ, and somebody else can just come to God right at the end and be forgiven without all that work, without all that being good. I remember once talking to somebody who was raised in the faith and she was not sure she believed that someone could on their deathbed confess, repent of their sins, believe in Jesus and be forgiven. Because that doesn't seem very fair. That doesn't seem very fair in our eyes, in our understanding. Surely those who do more deserve more. Surely those who do very little deserve very little. But Jesus shows us over and over again, the prophets show us that God's kingdom, God's love is not fair. It does not follow our rules of cause and effect of getting what you deserve. Like I said, throughout the Old Testament, we hear God declared gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Always. And so Jesus shares this story This story of the kingdom of God where workers are brought into the vineyard throughout the day. And at the end of the day, they all receive a day's wages. 
They all receive enough to feed their family for the day. They all receive enough to live another day, to continue to do the work. But those early laborers were like, wait a minute, this isn't fair. Sure, I received plenty, but they also got that much, and I worked harder than them and longer than them. I did more than them. The landowner says to them, I am not hurting you. By giving you enough and by giving them enough, them who didn't do as much work, I'm not causing you harm. I'm not taking away from your pay in order to give it to somebody else. There is plenty to go around. There is plenty that all who are here can have enough. And in the kingdom of God, this is true for everything. In the kingdom of God, there is enough, enough love for everyone, enough forgiveness for all of our sins, even the most heinous, the most unforgivable sins you can think of. And in the kingdom of God, there is enough food, enough shelter, enough for everybody to be at home, for everyone to have a place. God is not fair. God is generous. God is generous with love, compassion, welcome. God's kingdom, like this vineyard, does not stop calling people in at the beginning of the day. God's kingdom welcomes in and welcomes in and welcomes in no matter how late it is, no matter how far through life we have gotten. God's desire is that everyone would flourish. All of creation, all of the Ninevites, all of their animals, all of us, and all of those around us, whether we think they deserve it or not. It can be hard to live this way. It can be hard to see the world the way God calls us to see it, the way God does see it. We can find ourselves much more like Jonah, grumpy at God's love, angry that God chose to love somebody we don't deem worthy of that love. But this is where we are called to live. This is the God who we choose to follow, the God who gives unimaginable, unending, unchanging love to us, to all of the Jonas in the world, all of the disciples, and to all of those outside who we don't want to welcome in. The gates are open, the vineyard is plenty big, and there is more than enough, more than enough love, more than enough forgiveness, more than enough resources for us to share with our neighbor and us not to go hungry us not to be starved of God or God's love. In God's kingdom, there is always room for more. Amen.